Hey, everybody, it's John Moe. You know, just before we start the show, we want to talk to you a little bit about how the show is, in fact, able to exist. And I'm here with uh, Christina Lopez, sometimes called the digital editor of the show. <laughs> yes. But you are made of atoms. You're not You're not digital at all. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times I start the show by saying, is depression funny? I ask that of the guest. It's a question that led us to make the show in the first place. The guests you hear on the show are comedians and entertainers. They're good at articulating something you've thought but haven't been able to put into words. Yeah, that's the whole point of the show. That's what that's what we're trying to communicate. It works with depression. It works with other mental health topics. That's why you turn to this show for that reason, to get some words attached to these things that are hard to describe. People who understand depression deeply can laugh at it. I mean, I maintain that it's funny. Note the uh, note the rather <laughs> audacious title that we've given the show. Depression can feel absurd, um, but we can talk openly about it. We can laugh about the the bond of common experience that goes along with it. And that's rare, but it happens in every episode of The Hilarious World of Depression. And that's worth supporting. Yeah, I mean, this is what we need to do. We are a public media show. You know how public media works. You are the public in public media. You are thwadballs. Our beloved listeners allow this show to exist. Gifts from you are vital to our budget. Take a moment now. Pause the show if you have to and make a gift. We need 600 throd balls to give by December 31st to end the year strong. Yes. Please join our listeners, join the Thwadballs, join this this group, this rather massive group that we've accumulated over the years. <laughs> help us meet this goal. Help this show stay existing, help keep it strong, and you know, we can uh if, if it's not enough just to have the satisfaction of supporting a show you love, well, we can give you stuff, too. We're going to get to some of those gifts, and they're really fun, a little bit later in this episode. Yeah, we have some of the gifts we've been giving out for a while, and we've got, we've got a new one that really kind of cracks me up a lot. It's perfect. It's perfect for us. You're going to want to hear about it. Uh, and so, you know, make sure you support it. Make sure you get the cool things. Yes, and you can get the cool things at hilariousworld.org slash donate. No, no, wait, hold on. No, let's go for something a little more accusatory, more tabloid. Like, you know, the theme from A Current Affair? Remember that show, A Current Affair? Like, you're really going to expose the lies. There we go. I'm John Moe, and on this special edition of The Hilarious World of Depression, we are shining the harsh light of truth on the lies that depression tells. Oh yeah, it's journalism time. Massive expose. To help blow the lid off this thing, we have reporters spread out across the globe giving us the scoop on how depression lied to them. These are all from listeners of the hilarious world of depression, the Thwadballs, and they're going to be telling you the hard truth. Let's start with Anna, who has uncovered a very basic lie over in Sweden. Hi, my name is Anna, and I'm from Stockholm, Sweden. And the greatest lie that my depression ever told me, and still is telling me, is that I'm not really depressed, and therefore I don't need help. <laughs> Which is a very, very dangerous lie. It convinces me that I'm not actually ill, and I don't have any so-called real problems. I'm just being overly sensitive, and I'm being weak, and I just need to, you know, buck up and 
push through and then I can be normal like everyone else. And of course, that's a huge fat lie. And it's also a dangerous lie because it can snowball into this this self-sustaining shame spiral. Uh, if you don't manage to break that pattern quickly, it can it can ruin you in so many ways. It's also very strange to have an illness that that manifests by convincing you that you don't have an illness, like reverse hypochondria. You have the illness, but you believe that you don't. My name is Julie Levine from Northridge, California. My depression wasn't picked up for a while, so professionals weren't always listening to me when I asked them about meds. So when the managed care algorithm said that I was better, my depression initially told me that my problems weren't real enough because therapy and meds were for people with real problems. My depression told me that I just made it all up in my head. And the worst part for me is that my depression and anxiety, they speak to me in my own voice. It's a hard thing to hear your issues and your problems and your struggles coming to you in your own voice because it makes it really hard to sort out the truth. But things get better every day. And although I'm no longer in therapy for the time being, the meds definitely helped and made a big difference. And I feel that I'm better able to have a handle on it and actually hear what's the truth and what's a lie. Hi, this is Vinnie Bove from Queens, New York. If you've ever seen the 1995 film The Usual Suspects, then you probably know the iconic line, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. For decades, my depression fooled me into thinking that I didn't have depression, that I was just sad, that I was whiny, that it was my personality. Being able to acknowledge that I was not my depression, that it was something separate from me, was when I was finally able to start my recovery. My name is Kennedy. I'm from Ottawa, Ontario. And depression in my preteens told me that I wasn't good enough to have depression. No matter how much I hurt or how bad I felt, depression told me that I would never be sad enough for it to be important. It wasn't until I started therapy at age 20 that I learned about imposter syndrome. And my anxiety left me wondering if I was even good enough to have imposter syndrome. I love my therapist. I just wish depression and anxiety hadn't kept me quiet for so many years. Yeah, that's lie number one, depression telling you that what you're feeling isn't real and that you're not even depressed, or that depression itself is a big fake. Lie. It's all real. It's real, and it gets real personal, as our ace journalists have learned. This is Katie Keckeisen in Austin, Texas. I've suffered with depression since I was a teenager, if not longer than that. Um, one of the big ways my depression rears its ugly head is through extreme body dysmorphia. I was a chubby kid growing up, and I've fought with my weight and struggled with my self-image since I was in elementary school. When depression came battering down my door around puberty, the main way my black-eyed monster, as I like to call it, would mentally beat me down was when I'd look in the mirror. Every time I was faced with a reflective surface, that evil little voice would come into my brain and begin picking out all of the ways I was too big, too fat, too whatever. It would take that opportunity to tell me that, for those superficial reasons, I would never find anyone to love me or find me attractive. And for decades, I believed it. 
I can't remember a time in my life where I haven't been on a diet, denying myself even the simplest of foodie pleasures simply because the black-eyed monster would start judging me. Then I met a man who is now my husband, and he loves every inch of me, every roll, crevice, sag, what have you. He takes every opportunity he gets to tell me how beautiful I am. But there are days when I still can't help but think he's lying. But no, it's, it's the depression who's lying. Uh, now I'm actively in therapy, specifically for body dysmorphia. Uh, so when I look in the mirror, I now try to concentrate on my million-watt smile, my cute freckles, and now the amazing body that is currently growing and nourishing our first child. I know it's probably going to be something that I struggle with for perhaps the rest of my life, but now whenever that little voice comes up, I just say, lies, and go about my day. Thanks for the amazing podcast. It's been so great to know that I'm far from alone in my struggles. Also, your episodes about postpartum depression have also really helped me mentally prep for what might hit me after our son is born. Take care. Thanks. My name is Natalie Cherney, and I'm from Minnesota. A lie that my depression tells me is that I'm not worthy. And this lie plays upon my biggest fear is that I'm not worthy of love. And I've learned that I am. But that lie can stick with me and can take me to some pretty dark places if I let it. But I know that it's telling me that I need something, whether I need a break or I need to see some friends. That line is saying that I need something. And it's not always easy to drown out that voice saying that I'm not worthy, but I know that I am. And I remind myself how far I've come in the 12 or 13 years I've been battling depression. So depression says you are unlovable, unworthy of love. Liar. That's lie number two. You are capable of loving and being loved. Yes, you. Listen to me. It's a fact. You know, something we come across all the time on our show is the thinking that you can solve depression by not dealing with it at all. And that's a logical fallacy, but it's widely employed. My name is Huda. I'm from Toronto. My depression convinced me that my problems were irrelevant. Um, my problems and my emotions made me feel powerless and weak. Um, I also blamed myself for everything. I thought that working hard is all I needed to do in order to stay ahead of my feelings. So all I needed was to focus on a goal and achieve that. And that worked for a while till I reached what is called a perfect storm. I reached a point where opening my eyes in the morning was the most difficult task that I was doing. Getting out of bed was a big struggle for a very long time. And I refused to stop and ask for help. I did not want to be weak or feel less than anyone around me. I kept going till I had my first public emotion breakdown. And I was really skeptical about my diagnosis and the medications that my psych psychiatrist prescribed. And I thought the problem was not working hard enough. Now, I realize how awful I have been feeling. I can smell the rain. 
I'm enjoying the color of the trees during the fall. And most importantly, I don't remember the last time I have been feeling this great. Lie number three, just work harder and you'll overcome depression. No, that's not how it works. Do that and you'll end up depressed and exhausted. And that exhaustion makes you more susceptible to depression. It's a cycle. More lies exposed in just a moment. I'm here again with Christina Lopez, one of our producers of the show. Hello, Christina. Hi, John. You know, we are we are different in so many ways. You live in sunny Los Angeles, and I live in Minnesota where the weather tries to kill me all the time. <laughs> but we are we are together on this. We're together in the studio today to talk about the show. You know, uh, a lie that depression tells us is that we're all alone. Nobody else is going through this. Nobody else feels this way. That you'll be more isolated if you even try to talk about it. Yes, yes. You're going to make it worse if you spill the beans and talk to anyone. This show is the ultimate myth buster of that one. Yeah, when you listen, when you connect with our guests, when when you hear these stories that they say and something goes off and you're like, oh my gosh, that is how I've been feeling. I didn't know anybody else felt that way, let alone it being like Ms. Cracker or <laughs> DMC from Run DMC. Uh, you, you get... You get a connection with other people, and that helps fight off depression in in our society. That helps us smash down those walls that keep us apart. And you connect with other listeners as well, a whole community of thwadballs. Listener Jocelyn in Alberta, Canada, told us, I live alone, and depression is very isolating. When I need a bit of connection, that satisfying connection of hearing someone say, I get it, I turn on thwad, it always helps. I wish I could give you as much as you give me. That's great, Jocelyn. Thank you for leaving us that note when you donated to support this show. We really appreciate it. You know, giving means a lot of things. Um, you know, we are are giving you a show. You are sometimes giving us help with that show, as as is the case with this episode. And you're giving us a financial contribution to help the giving keep going to allow this whole. Uh, sort of cooperative experience to even exist. And now we are asking you, dear listener, to join Jocelyn. Give what you can. Give the amount that's right for you. That's what we're asking. Yeah, it's it's really simple. We don't know what financial situation you're in, so find a level that works for you, and that's that's the perfect amount. You pick the goal. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like there's a price tag on it. You can still hear the show no matter what, but we just ask you if you're getting something from this, if you've appreciated it, if you've been helped in some way, uh, give something that works for you. It's the fact that you give it all that matters to us. Be one of the 600 thwadballs who help us meet this goal. We're a community and we'll get there together. And it's time to announce this wonderful new prize that we have. All right. Everyone who gives by midnight on December 31st can get a special gift, a pill-shaped stress ball. It's, you know, we were, we were talking about what new gifts to offer, and this one just made us all crack up in the meeting. It's it's something to have at your work. It's a little bit of medication uh, that is in the form of just gripping your hand, uh, and it's, you know, your insurance has nothing to do with it. We'll give this to you. There's no co-pays. There's no, <laughs> no premiums to get this one. It's a pill-shaped stress ball. You can even go look at it. Go over to hilariousworld.org slash donate. We have shirts there. We have mugs there. We have all sorts of great things. Socks. I love the socks. 
Uh, find something that works for you. Find a level that works for you and be part of this 600 thwad balls by the end of the year. Hilariousworld.org slash donate. All right, we are putting depression on trial today, shoving Clint D's lies back in its face, shocking the jury. We're all up in this like Matlock. Next up, listener Elise reveals another lie. Hi, my name is Elise Zook, and I live in Chicago, Illinois. Depression told me that I had done something so horrible that I deserved to feel as awful as I did. It never told me what that horrible thing was, but I spent so many years convinced that I must have done some kind of unspeakable act that warranted feeling so depressed. When I survived my suicide attempts, depression told me that I wasn't even worthy of dying, that I deserved to continue living in such pain. Depression told me that I was a hopeless cause, that my mind was too damaged to ever function normally. Depression applauded me for assuming and hoping that I'd be dead by age 25. I spent a lot of years believing those lies, and dozens of hospitalizations, medications, and ECT treatments later, I was convinced that those lies really were the truth. I was lucky enough to have one final residential treatment experience where a combination of effective medications, amazing clinicians, and total surrender to the treatment and therapy on my part helped make a crack in the depression and got me on the path to recovery and happiness. You don't deserve to have depression. It's not your fault. That's a lie. That's lie number four. We're sharing these lies uncovered by our listener reporters because we need to help each other. That's the idea behind the hilarious world of depression, after all. Now, not everything you hear on this show applies directly to your life, but some of it might. We can and must help each other. And we need all the help we can get from everyone. Hello, my name is Louis Ducharme. I'm from Alberta, Canada, pretty high up north. Um, I've been listening to Thwad since season one, and I've had depression since I was very young. Um, throughout that time, depression has told me so many lies uh, that I wasn't actually sick, uh, that I was worthless, unlovable, and useless. And... One of the worst lies that I still sometimes believe is that I shouldn't and would not live much longer. And has been telling me that since I knew people could die. Um, I'm almost 30 now, and while I can look back and say, no, you're wrong, I'm not going to die anytime soon, not at least by my hand, um, and I'm worthwhile and I'm good. And something that's really helped me in that is realizing I'm trans. And then, you know, overcoming the lies where depression says, no, you're not really trans, you're just a wannabe. <laughs> Honestly, half of knowing that it's lying to me is seeing the proof in front of me uh, that I'm still somehow alive and I'm almost 30 and that I can be who I feel like I should be, and listening to others when they tell me that I am a good person and I am worthwhile. This is Laura Didick, and I live in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. The big lie that depression told me and that took me a really long time to unbelieve was that 
I had arrived at the ultimate truth, which was that if any person sat alone in a room for long enough and were totally honest with themselves, they would arrive at the same truth that I had, that there was no conceivable, believable, possible point to this whole being alive thing, and that grabbing onto any apparent meaning or purpose was delusional at best and proof of being completely duped. I shared this lie on the phone with my mother. I was sitting on my couch in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I just defended my MFA thesis, and there was this long silence. And I remember even now, I looked down at the paleness of my legs against that peach couch that I'd gotten from the Goodwill and felt my body as just not me anymore, but a vessel for this duping. It all seemed ridiculous and exhausting and true. I finally broke the silence and asked my mom, didn't she agree with me? And she laughed a little and said, no, no, honey, I don't. But because depression has a way of winning, I had to get a lot worse. I had to start drinking after many years of not. I had to spiral into an even worse episode of depression until I found myself in that oh-so-popular land that so many of us know, the land of rock bottom, yet again. This time, though, I asked for help. I was sincere, and I was desperate, and it was through talking to other people who were walking the same road to recovery, people who had been where I was and were now living clean, open, beautiful lives that made me realize I had been entirely wrong. Hello, my name is Natasha Burke. I'm originally from Texas, but I live now in Perth, Australia. Depression tells you you are alone and no one would miss you if you were gone. It tells you you are not worthy of love, that you haven't earned love. It tells you the pain you are going through can be ended quickly and you will no longer be a burden on the people around you. In a moment of suicidal ideation, I felt completely alone and that I would be doing the world a favour if I ended my own pain. I was standing one foot in the void. Ending things felt completely selfless in that moment. What saved me was a memory from a co-worker's funeral. She had died in an accident a couple of years ago. She too felt not worthy and was the most capable person I knew. She felt so unimportant and that her achievements didn't matter, and yet her funeral was standing room only. She saved me in that moment and I backed away from the abyss. Last month, I lost a friend after a long battle with depression and his funeral was also standing room only. He had told so few people and barely any of his male friends who are all now reeling for not noticing and feeling the guilt of missing the signs. But at least now they are talking about their feelings. Depression lies and tells you what you're feeling is weak. Men hear phrases like man up and boys don't cry and toughen up. And they bottle down and bottle down their worries, fears, concerns about life until it literally kills them. Women have their emotions blamed on hormones or being oversensitive. Really, the best way to battle the lies depression tells us is to normalize discussions about mental health. And I want to thank this podcast for doing just that. Thank you. Yeah, line number five is a big one. Tells you you shouldn't be alive, but you should be. We need you and we like you. Here's Mary Beth shining the flashlight of truth on another lie. 
Hi, my name is Mary Beth McAndrews, and I am calling in from Austin, Texas. Depression told me that no one else felt like me or witnessed life in a similar way. As a result, I isolated and never felt comfortable being vulnerable. It took me many years to figure this all out, even when I intellectually knew depression was lying to me. Continuing to be vulnerable with myself and others helps me emotionally witness and navigate the lie. Lie six, that you're weird. You're not. Way back on our second episode ever, Maria Bamford told us that no matter what's going on in your head, someone else is going through it too. Lots of someone else's. There's someone who's written a book about it, in fact, and they're on a book tour right now, Maria says. This one about feeling uniquely weird, this one hits home for me, big time. This is the lie that kept me from getting help for literally decades. I never heard anyone else talk about this thing that I was feeling, this monster inside. So I figured everyone else was fine. And I was the only one who felt this way. Only me, me alone, I was the only one. So how could I get help? What would I tell anyone? The depression itself enforces this belief. And the behavior around depression only exacerbates it. You isolate. You shun others. You hope that it goes away even though you're doing nothing to make it do so. And so you just hope no one notices. Even though talking to others and having others notice is freedom and it's health. A short break here just to talk about how this show is able to exist, how we're able to bring it to you. I'm here with Christina Lopez, part of the production team that brings you THWAD. Hi, Christina. Hey, John. You know, navigating mental health, that's what the show is about, uh, hearing stories from others who've done it, getting some ideas for yourself. And the thing about mental health, there are good days, bad days. Some days are easier than others. Sometimes it's about resilience taking it day by day. You know, we are there for you along the way. There's something uh, that we can provide to help you. We think that's great. And there's something that you can do also to help us plan for our future, to keep this show going, keep it going strong. And you can do that by starting a monthly donation. It's easier on your budget, and it gives us a foundation of reliable funding. Yeah, I mean, we know that sometimes you can't write a huge check for for everything, but... This is how we are able to do it. $5 a month, $10 a month makes a big difference. We can set it up as an automatic draw so you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to worry about renewing. And you know that whenever you hear the show, you keep it going strong. And we have thank you gifts. Stuff. (laughs) We have a mug. It's really great. Some custom socks that are really, really warm. Orange. (laughs) And a T-shirt. Yeah, they they got to be warm socks because not everybody lives in Southern California like Christina Lopez. Well, it's raining today, so I need warm yeah, socks. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I come out here from Minnesota to visit, and it's raining. <laughs> what God do I need to, to talk to? I'm really sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give by December 31st. At midnight, you can get this new wonderful gift, a pill-shaped stress ball. That's when you give at any amount that's right for you. That is with any 
donation that you make that works for you. You get the pill-shaped stress ball, and then you just uh, pump that in your hand, and poof, depression is cured forever. No, not really. But uh, <laughs> it, it does feel good. It's, uh, it's a relief, and it's also just kind of funny, which helps as well. You know, a stress ball is one of the things my therapist told me to squeeze under my desk really? during meetings. Nice. <laughs> so this is what I'm doing with this pill ball. <laughs> we, we usually meet, you know, in, in a conference call or a video chat. So now, now I'm just imagining you with that uh, stress ball <laughs> under there. It does have the logo on it. It's useful. It's funny. It's a conversation starter. It's bold. It's public. It's wonderful. Check out the thank you gifts and start your monthly gift. It'll count towards our goal of 600 gifts by midnight on New Year's Eve. Yep. Help us out and get the stress ball and squeeze it. Give now at hilariousworld.org slash donate. Okay, let's expose more lies. Let's offer this service to our listeners because people deserve to know. People are valuable and worthy of love and care and consideration. Which brings us to our next lie. Hello, my name is Jared Adamson. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Depression told me it was my own fault. It's not. It told me I was helpless to do anything about it. I'm not. So I took control. I started with my primary care physician, and now I have a slogan of Jesus, coffee, and Zoloft. I walked away from a toxic situation that depression told me I needed to stay in for the good of my family and situation, but I am better away from that, which means my family is better and stronger because with the help of my wife, I was able to discern the truth. We are living in a very happy state right now. I'm still working on it. I'm still seeking treatment. But I took back the truth. Hi, my name is Emily. I'm from Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Depression showed up and started to lie to me constantly in medical school. At the beginning of my second year, I missed classes and I failed two exams. I had to leave school for a year and repeat my classes the next fall. When I started back to school with classmates I'd never met before, depression lied and told me that I was wearing a sign on my forehead that said, I'm a failure, I'm weak, I have a mental illness. It was hard to make friends, and of course, I still had depression. I kept plugging away, but I wasn't getting good grades. I wasn't achieving my way out of depression anymore. Depression lied and said, see, you're not good enough. You won't make it as a doctor. But if there's one word that describes me, it's persistent. The constant lies that depression told me kept me down, but not out. I got into my first choice of residency, and I was happy. But then I started taking call. I worked 36-hour shifts with little to no sleep every four nights for a month or two or even three at a time. Shockingly, sleep deprivation is not good for depression. There's an unfortunate stigma about mental illness within healthcare because doctors seem to expect other doctors to be superhuman automatons who never get sick. Sickness is treated as weakness, and mental illness is even worse than a real illness like cancer or a severe injury. When I wasn't on call, I did great. When I was on my call months, I fell apart. 
Over time, I got less and less support from my residency director and my program. They even implied that I was using drugs when I had to have professionalism training. The constant soundtrack of, you're a failure, played in my head. Thank God for the people who told me that I was good at what I did, patients and colleagues. Eventually, I couldn't make it in the program, and I switched specialties. That's when depression said, see, I was right. You had to leave. You're inferior. Depression told me that I had a new sign on my forehead that said, I am a proven failure. I felt like it was obvious to everyone that I must have failed in the past. I thought patients knew every single thing that I was supposed to do, and they judged me if I wasn't perfect. That's when depression started to tell me that even though I was doing better in my new program, I should be telling my colleagues about my failures so they would understand why I didn't deserve their compliments or really any success at all. I hit bottom at age 39 when my imposter syndrome got so bad that I started having panic attacks at work. I'm really lucky. I have a brilliant psychiatrist and an awesome therapist. They helped me get the right treatment. I got the right medications. And I went to intensive outpatient therapy, to DBT, and had EMDR for trauma therapy. It took me years to build any self-esteem, but I did. That experience transformed my life. The constant soundtrack of depression's lies is gone. Depression still lies to me, some days more than others, but when it does, I have the confidence to tell it to shut up. Hi, this is Mel Maloney from Gosport in the UK. Depression told me lots of things about how worthless and unimportant I am, but the most important one as a musician was that I'm not good enough to play and no one wants to hear me. I'm so rubbish that what's the point in playing as I'm just an embarrassment? If I did attempt to perform in public, I would shake so much I couldn't physically play. I believe that people like me should just accept this and give up. So I scraped through my music degree and then avoided playing unless I was hiding behind other people for the next 13 years. I only realised that this was a lie during a CBT session two years ago when my therapist pushed me to explain why I didn't really play anymore and she encouraged me to get out of my comfort zone. So I started posting videos of my playing on Facebook and when I found that I didn't lose all of my friends or get publicly ridiculed, I joined a band. And now I stand up in front of people at big festivals and I play without feeling ashamed or violently shaking. Hi, I'm Christina Steinke from Jackson, Mississippi. When I get depressed, it's a direct result of my OCD and generalized anxiety disorder. I'll get so stuck in the thought spirals that I'll start feeling like it will never end. When the spirals go into depression, the biggest lies it will tell me is that I'm worthless, I can't do anything right, nothing matters. The result is that I blow up my life. I used to quit my job, start and end diets quickly, pick fights with my spouse, any number of things that I do to try to feel something besides worthless. I realized it was a lie when I noticed that doing all that didn't make me feel better. It made me feel worse because I never saw instant results from all the things I did. I finally have gotten to the point with the help of meds and therapy that I'm able to catch the spiral before they go haywire. If I can't do that and it goes down into the darkness, I'll distract myself using non-life-blowing-up methods. Read, listen to music, watch TV, journal, which is immensely helpful, or just lay on the floor and cry it out. 
Therapy has helped me realize that sometimes I have to give in to the sadness so that I can feel the happy, and there's nothing wrong or weak about that. Unlucky number seven. The seventh lie is that you're worthless. You're not. I promise you that. And you don't have to prove it because it's self-evident. It comes as a package deal with personhood itself. Now, depression doesn't want to be exposed like this. It doesn't like what we're doing. It wants to hide and fester. In fact, depression is so determined to mask the truth, it lies and tells you not to do anything about depression. Hi, Quadballs. I love your stuff. Uh, Keep doing the good work. My name is Eileen Sparling, and I live in Newark, Delaware. Depression tells you not to take medication, that it will change your brain, it won't be the real you. The hesitation to take medication to address the problem is part of the issue. Diabetes or hypertension doesn't mess with your head as to the solution. Depression is a medical condition that needs intervention. I resisted for a long time until I was desperate, and it was the best decision I made. Treatment works. Don't believe the lies depression tells you. Yeah, that's lie number eight, that you're best leaving it alone. No, get help. Look, I'm not saying it's easy to detect depression's lies all the time. Depression is a gifted mimic. It talks to you in your own voice. It uses your brain to make you think that these lies make sense. It's hard work blowing the bullshit whistle on that sometimes. And sometimes depression's lies can be pretty creative. My name is Hannah. I live in Seattle, and my depression likes to come up with lies that, were I not in the throes of a depressive episode, are ridiculously silly, which makes them very easy to recognize now. Um, An example, a few years ago, I was unemployed, going through a really serious medical issue, and deeply depressed. My depression decided that all of my friends hated me, that they were in a secret club dedicated to hating me, that one day soon they would pull the rug out from under me, and the way they would trick me was by doing nice things for me, like bringing me food after surgery, and not just takeout, food that took a lot of time to make, lasagna, brisket, that kind of thing. And now that's pretty hilarious, but at the time I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense, of course, that's how they're going to trick me. Uh, A more recent example is I publish writing online anonymously, and some people have said some very nice things about that. But my brain has decided that none of those people meant what they said, and they all felt sorry for me because I'm a terrible writer, and how could I ever think that anything that I wrote was worth reading? Which also doesn't make any sense because these people don't know who I am. Um, What has helped is really interrogating those weird lies because depression is in the business of making you feel bad and not making logical sense. Um, I have at least one friend who I can go to who will tell me without judgments to not let depression drive the car even though it wants the keys very badly. Um, And the thing that's probably helped the most is cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a lot of work. You have to put in the time and the effort, but it really, really, really helps. Thanks. A secret club, a conspiracy. It's all built around this idea that since depression made you hate yourself, others must feel the same way about you. It's the only logical way you're capable of seeing yourself. But it's lie number nine. If people are being nice and caring toward you, there's a very high probability that they like you 
and care about you. Because Clinny D diminishes your value to yourself, it's easy to project that diminished self into other people's secret motives and agenda, but it's a lie. Alyssa Mauser, I live in Akron, Ohio. Depression told me that I wasn't good. Not just that I wasn't good enough, but that I wasn't good at all. As a result, I wasn't able to see my own value for a long time. I did things that were harmful to myself because I didn't care about me. Figured it out after realizing that I help people and I do good things and that I can choose to do that. My depression just tells me that I'm not good, but it's full of shit. Lie 10, that you're no good. You're not no good. That is, you're good. All right, let's do one more. Make it an even 11. Hi, this is Taslin Magnuson calling from Prescott, Wisconsin. There are so many, many lies. It's just hard to choose. Uh, one of my favorites is that depression told me that five mint Milanos, then 10 mint Milanos, and finally 15 mint Milanos would make me feel better. Or on alternative days, mint Milanos would make me disappear and no longer be. And maybe on every third day, because I ate them with milk, it would be healthy. So probably best to start the day with that, just to make sure I was awake and capable of facing new people. And of course, facing all the people I already knew when all I wanted to do was watch Criminal Minds and never leave my house. Of course, this is a variation of the lie depression told me often. More of this would make me feel or feel better or feel something. The problem was it kept changing up the this until it was basically more of more until I found myself checking out at Target with 10 bags of mint Milanos. I had taken all the available bags on the shelves but was too embarrassed to ask them to check the back. To be fair, they were on sale for two for five, which is a good deal. So depression told me I was stocking up for when I really couldn't get out of the house. So when depression told me that Mint Milanos were the solution and I was actually planning ahead and remembering how to be practical, so even the thought of Mint Milanos was healing and good for me. How did I discover this lie? It's a super long story, but basically involves crawling under a desk at work, refusing to come out, losing my words, eating a lot of Mint Milanos, being told maybe there were feelings I should deal with, eating more Mint Milanos, I still believed, seeking help, and not just for the Mint Milanos, seeking more help, medication, a special trip through Daybridge, learning about art therapy, writing, a longer trip through a partial hospitalization program, Mint Milanos, I always have hope, maybe feeling some stupid feelings and them not killing me, petting the dog. I still like Mint Milanos, but now I realize they're actually luxury cookies designed for me to enjoy rather than to eat as fast as possible to ward off more darkness and just not being there. Depression said you better grab all the goddamn mint Milano cookies that you can. That will help. But that won't help. That's way too many cookies. So let's recap and let's drop that little chukung sound from a current affair in there on each one of these. One, depression isn't real. Lie. Two, you don't deserve love. Lie. Three, you can work your way out of depression. Lie. Four, 
You deserve this. Lie. Five. You'd be better off dead. Total lie. Six. You're weird for feeling this way. Lie. Seven. You're worthless. Lie. Eight. You should not treat your depression. Lie. Nine. Everybody secretly hates you. Lie. Ten. You're fundamentally bad. Lie. Eleven. Cookies will solve everything. Cookie lie. That's it for this episode of the show. And a reminder, we really need to hear from you to support the show, to keep us strong, to keep us going. And the way you can do that is by visiting hilariousworld.org slash donate. You can check out all sorts of uh prizes there, merchandise that you can get, you can receive yourself in exchange for your support of the show. I mean, I know supporting the show is its own gift, knowing that you helped make this show possible. But in case you'd also like stuff, we got all sorts of stuff there. And brand new in our stuff collection is the stress ball, the pill-shaped stress ball. And you don't uh, you don't have to worry about squeezing it uh, with food or uh, you know anything like that. There are no side effects to it beyond just the relief of stress. It's large, but you don't have to swallow it. In fact, please don't. You just have to squish it in your hand. Go check that out. Go check out all the thank you gifts that we have available because we want to thank you for supporting this show, the place to go and to support the show at whatever level you choose, whatever works for you hilariousworld.org slash donate. This is more about collecting people than it is about hitting a certain dollar figure. So we need to hear from you. Hilariousworld.org slash donate. Get the shirt, get the mug, get the socks, or get the squishy pill. Squishy pill. The Hilarious World of Depression is a production of American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Our digital producer is Christina Lopez. Phyllis Fletcher is our editor and not a liar at all. We bid farewell to our intern, Ariana Wilson, who has a brilliant career ahead of her to go with her smart brain and strong work ethic. Recording engineers for this episode, you, the Thwadballs. Technical director, John Miller. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones Starting that conversation can be awkward, but Make It Okay has tips on what to say and what not to say. It has stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It Okay at makeitokay.org. 
HilariousWorld.org is our web home, home to our archive of all of our programs, absolutely free. We're also on Twitter and come visit us on Facebook. A lot of great conversation happening there with your fellow Thwadballs. It's a good place to hang out. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Doc, that's the problem. What if I was to tell you I'm Paiachi? This great big smile is just for show. What if I was to tell you this is just grease paint? Would you say I'm a hopeless case? Say it ain't so. I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know